second time of mentioning the word joy or rejoice in the text. He will we'll say the word about 16 different times as you look throughout the epistle. So it is very much a uh, large theme in this very short epistle. In fact, he'll mention joy or rejoicing more times in this epistle than he does uh, in all the rest of them. Not combined, but in all the rest of them. So uh, it is a very apparent theme throughout the epistle that he's given to us. And we've been studying what Christian joy is. What is Christian joy? It's, a, it's an unusual thing because uh, as it was uh, as I was understanding it a little bit more, it occurred to me that Christian joy, uh, we oftentimes will say that it's not based upon the circumstances that are around us. But yet, in Philippians, you do have a very odd dynamic there because Paul is uh, affected by his circumstances oftentimes. He said that uh, if Epaphroditus would have died, it would have brought him much sorrow. That is the exact opposite uh, that is the antonym, if you will, to joy. Uh, that word is there, sorrow and joy. Um, but one person I read uh, is, said it very well. Uh, well, actually several of them. Uh, Adrian Rogers said it very simple. He said, joy is not found in circumstances, but joy is found in a person. And that is in Christ, Jesus the Lord. Joy is the characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit, which means it comes supernaturally as we abide in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. Joy is not in a superficial, in, in any way superficial, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, but is fundamentally serious and fundamentally happy at the same exact time. You see, the joy of a Christian is a holy joy. It's a happiness of the Christian. It's a serious happiness, a solemn joy, a holy joy, a serious happiness. So that though he is grave and sober-minded and serious, he is never cold or prohibitive. I like that, you know. Uh, at the, you're, a Christian can be serious-minded, but he also can be happy at the same time. Uh, and it goes uh, hand in hand. Um, we're able to see beyond uh, our circumstances and see something greater in life. In fact, joy it rests in something we, we call, what the scriptures call peace. And it rests in the peace of God that passes all of understanding. And the peace of God, it rests in uh, the faith that we have in God. And so uh, all of these terms, faith, love, peace, and joy, they, they rest upon each other. They're not to be found and to be solitary. Though we're just preaching, if you will, a topical series on the uh, fruit of the Spirit that is called joy, uh, don't think that it stands alone. Uh, remember your fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter number 5 and verse number 22 that it speaks like that. The fruit of the Spirit. Did you catch that? And then love, joy, peace, long-suffering. What's, what's ironic about that? Fruit. Singular. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It doesn't say that. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit does not stand uh, by itself. They all stand on top of each other. They work with each other. Joy works with faith, and faith works with peace, and so on. And uh, so joy is to be ever present in our lives as a believer. 
In our study, we've been mining out different ways on how to experience the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, as Nehemiah teaches us. And last time that we were together, we found that uh, one way in which to experience joy in the Christian life is to be prayerful. To be prayerful. And I asked you a serious question Are you praying? Are you praying? Well, if you're not praying, then you're not going to have joy. Because that's a way to experience joy in, a Christian, in the Christian life. And we saw different ways in which that is accompanied. We pray for others. Uh, one way that I did not mention last week that I wanted to bring to your attention now is that uh, when you pray for others and you see an answer to that prayer request, that brings joy. That brings joy. To know that you were praying for something and you saw God answer that thing. And you say, man, that's, that's, that brings me joy. That brings me peace. That brings me happiness to know that God is listening to my prayers. And tonight, I want us uh, to look at this gem that is found in front of us here. And that is this, the joy in preaching the gospel. The joy in preaching the gospel. And... Uh, this joy that we find here in verses 12 through 18 is concluded in verse number 18 when he says, Notwithstanding, whether in pretense or in truth, I rejoice, I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. And Paul is letting us know that he takes great delight in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether he's doing it or whether somebody else is doing it. Whether somebody else is doing it that is truthful and honest and nice and loving or somebody that even may be preaching the gospel yet even at the same time trying to malign and be contentious against Paul. Uh, Paul says, I rejoice. Why? It's because the fact of the matter is this, is that Paul realizes that the gospel is not about him. That is so key in understanding, I think, joy in itself also, is that the gospel is not about him. But what is the gospel? The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of, say his name, Jesus Christ, we could say the Lord. Jesus, that's what it's about. It's not about anybody else. It's about the Lord. And so, when we get a right perspective on the gospel, then we can have a good perspective and a right perspective on joy. And that's, uh, I believe, one of Paul's intentions for even the Philippian believers who loved him. The Philippians loved Paul. There's no doubt about that. I preached, a whole, I preached uh, several messages through all of that, and I showed you specifically they loved Paul. And so, uh, there's probably some in the Philippian church that probably wanted to take up a defense for Paul. Uh, when you love somebody, you want to take a defense for them, right? And you want to defend them. You want to say, man, I, they're, that, they're not like that. Uh, you shouldn't be saying that about them. And I believe Paul is even reminding the Philippian believers here, listen, the gospel's being preached. Don't worry about defending me. Let God do that. Well, we should, care, we should care about this, and we should be grateful in this, and we should be joyful in this. The gospel is preached. Amen. Thank God for that. And so sometimes I might quote an author that I don't particularly agree with uh, in everything. But I'm glad, usually the authors that I'm quoting, unless they're, I retell you that they're heretical at the, off the bat, uh, that, I, that, that I'm quoting, though I might not agree with every point of their doctrine, and maybe even some larger points of their doctrine, I will uh, agree with this, 
Thank God that at least they're preaching the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ the Lord through Christ alone, through faith alone, and it has nothing to do with my works of righteousness, but it's all through the faith that we can have in Jesus Christ the Lord. So tonight we're seeing the preaching of the cross should bring joy to the believer's life. The preaching of the cross, it should bring joy to the believer's life. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Persecuted for preaching the gospel brings joy. Persecuted for preaching the gospel brings joy. I don't need to take you over there, but I could take you to Acts chapter number 5 and also chapter number 4 and show to you there, and I've showed it to you many times, how in that scenario there when the apostles were persecuted for the gospel of Jesus Christ, remember after they were beaten or after they were told not to preach and they were sent out and they were scolded and rebuked, they counted it joy to them, right? That they were able, they were, they were worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. They were happy to do that. They were glad uh, to, to, to do uh, such a thing. Uh, I think it was Irenaeus who said that he was glad that the lions could eat of his flesh and fill their stomachs to the glory of God. I mean, I, I mean he, was, he was happy for these things, happy to suffer for Christ, happy uh, to, uh, to suffer for the Lord. So persecuted for the gospel. That should bring joy. And that's what's happening in verses 12 through 14. Paul is describing his situation just a little bit that is happening there in Rome. Remember, he's imprisoned at Rome at this point. He's been imprisoned at this point, And he's telling the uh, Philippian believers, he says, I would have you understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. And he's saying that the things that happened to me at Jerusalem when I was arrested there, and then I was tried and uh, moved on and they moved me up the way and they moved me further up. And finally, uh, I appealed to Caesar and then all of my uh, heartaches and journeyings and my shipwreck that I experienced, all of that's included in this text. All of that, he says, has fallen out uh, for the furtherance of the gospel. The fruition is the idea of this. The fruition of that trial, of those beatings, of all of it, is that the gospel has been furthered. And he says, and I rejoice. <laughs> and I will rejoice for that. Uh, how many of us tonight that are believers in Jesus Christ, even though we might not always be the best witness, but how many of us would be glad to know that when we die one day, that maybe our death, our funeral, uh, our life, that somebody saw something there. They saw Christ and they accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I mean, how many of us would love that? Amen? That'd be a, that'd be a great crown in heaven, wouldn't it? To know. Even Paul says in another place, he says, in Philippians, we'll talk about this, he says, you are my crown of rejoicing. Who's he talking about? I think that's in Thessalonians. He's talking about the Thessalonian believers. He's saying the believers, the people that I've led to the Lord, he says, those are my crown of rejoicing right there. That's my crown right there. That's what I wear right there. That's, I'm not worried about the worldly crowns. I, I'm thankful. Those are my crowns. Those are what's, those are, that's, that's what's beautiful to me. So persecution for preaching the gospel brings joy. Brings joy. Paul was writing from this Roman prison cell, and he tells them what was happening to him. And sitting in this cell, uh, there's probably no doubt that Paul had some sorrow. Uh, he had sorrow. He was no longer able to see his friends, Right? I would say that brought sorrow to his heart. Uh, 
I would say that he had great sorrow in prison whenever uh, Epaphroditus, one of their own, almost died. He tells us that and confesses in Philippians 2 that uh, he had great sorrow of heart during that occasion. Uh, so it's not as if Paul had no sorrow or tears, okay? Let's not get a wrong picture of Paul or, or an idea of what joy is. He did have sorrow. He did have tears. Uh, he admits that in other, in other epistles. But it's not as if he was in this perpetual state of smiling, right? <laughs> okay, sometimes we get this idea of Christian joy means I must walk around with my smile plastered on my face all the time. Uh, no, that's not what we're saying here tonight. Uh, he may have had sorrow, but he still had joy. Uh, there was uh, some writer, uh, writers named Martin and Hawthorne. They wrote a very good part, portion on this. They said, hence for Paul, joy is more, listen to this, than a mood or an emotion. I like that. It is a mood and an emotion. He's not, they're not denying that. But they're saying it is, but it is more than that. It is more than just a mood or an emotion. But joy is an understanding of existence that encompasses both elation and depression. I mean, joy can be in a great time of, of happiness. And a baby is born. Joy, right? But joy can also exist in times of depression and sorrow and grief. That, that one can accept with submission the events and bring delight that bring delight or dismay. Because joy, listen to it, and this is the key of what they're trying to say here. He says, they said this, they said, because joy sees beyond any particular event to the, and he looks to the sovereign Lord who stands above all events and ultimately has control over them. Joy, to be sure, is includes within itself. Listen, this is what so, this was, this so applies to Paul so so perfectly. Joy includes in itself, in itself, a readiness to be martyred, but at the same time, an equal opportunity to go and live and serve Jesus Christ. It's it's both, and, and that's the great thing about being a Christian. Amen. Is that you can have joy in deep sorrow, uh, but you can also, as well as you can have joy in good times. In fact, Paul certainly understood that, and his sentiment, his sentiment is written in another letter, Second uh, Corinthians chapter number six, where he writes these words: "As sorrowful yet rejoicing, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing." Uh, funny how I had to read Martin and Hawthorne a whole entire paragraph to just get one little thing what God said, right? I mean, uh, that's what happens a lot of times in scriptures but, and in commentaries and in preaching. But he says, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. You know, if you're sorrowful, you still can have joy. You can still have joy. That's the promise that is given to us here. And because you're looking Beyond the circumstances. As Roger says, joy is not found in a circumstance, but it's found beyond the circumstance. And it's found in the God of the circumstances. And that He knows best. And that He is sovereign. He is over all. And He is in complete control and knows what He is doing. And I can trust in Him and rest in Him. Paul was a man that was persecuted for the gospel's sake. But he was able to see past the hard times and find joy in being persecuted even though he was doing what God wanted him to do. 
I think that's even more difficult. It is difficult, no doubt, I believe, to have joy in a grievous time when something doesn't go right in our life. That's difficult to find joy. But it's even harder, I believe, to find joy when you are doing what is right and yet still you're persecuted for it. That can be very challenging for a believer, very questioning for a believer. Why is this happening to me? And those questions will pop up into our minds. It is in those times we must be as Paul and realize that life is, about, is not, in, and I don't mean to say this insensitively or anything, and I would never tell this to anybody on their deathbed or somebody that just died, but in a church service it's helpful for us to understand that life is not about me. It's about the gospel. It's about the furtherance of the gospel. It's about Christ. It's about Him. And in, like we sang tonight, and, uh, and Ashley didn't know this, but she picked that song out and said, well, we were supposed, maybe we could sing this song. And, and I said, yeah, that's a great song. Go right with the message. In my life, Lord, be glorified. And be glorified. God, I don't understand what you're going, what's going on. I don't know why I'm getting persecuted and I'm doing what's right here. But God, in my life, be glorified. May, the further, may this, Lord, bring about the furtherance of the gospel. May people be saved. May, may more people hear about Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul was able to see past the circumstances. In verse number 12, he was able to see uh, that his bonds was able to further the gospel. He says that in verse number 5. He says that, or verse 12, that the things that have happened unto me have fallen out, have brought to fruition uh, rather under the furtherance of the gospel. Um, uh, also, we find in verse number 13, he was also not only to see that his bonds were able to further the gospel, but he could also see this, that his bonds placed him in a position that he was able to give the gospel where he normally would not have been able to give it, inside the palace walls. There is no way that he would have had any access to the people that were inside the palace walls. He would have had, never have had that access had he not been arrested and put, into, and put inside there. He had access to them. He was able to preach to them so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. In fact, at the end of the epistle, we read that even some of own Caesar's own household accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. So you say, why does God got me here? He's got you there for a particular purpose, right? Like uh, Mordecai told Esther, for such a time as this. And then thirdly, we find he was able to recognize his bonds. Listen, this is very interesting. His bonds went beyond just encouraging, just, uh, um, just being manifested in the palace, but it actually encouraged other people to get the gospel out. So the gospel was able to spread. Think about that. How much gospel preaching can one man do? All right? How much gospel preaching can 10 men do? Let's change the scenario. How much gospel preaching can 10 families do? Amen? I mean, more and more and more and more. Paul saw the advantages that were happening here, though he was in a very unsatisfying and unsavory situation, you might say. 
a sobering and sorrowful place. Number two, we find that even through persecution that he was able to have joy. But secondly, we find this, that preaching outside the prison walls brought Paul joy. Paul goes on to say in verse number 15, 16, and 17, he says, Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, some also of goodwill. He said in verse 16, The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add to affliction in my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel, set for the defense of the gospel. In fact, verse number 14, he says, There are brethren that are waxing confident. The word waxing there means growing. There are more brethren that are growing confident of this thing, of to preach the gospel without fear, uh, to speak the word without fear, and no fear to preach God's word. Uh, the unsatisfying situation that Paul was in brought that. Paul was happy. He was happy because even though he was, able to go, he was not able to go outside the walls and preach the gospel anymore where he used to, but others were now preaching the gospel outside the walls. And that brings me to a, a thought there, is that I am always kind of concerned about somebody that says, what about all this business of always preaching the gospel? Why don't we always have to preach the gospel? Why don't you give us something real practical? Uh, and I hear sometimes, I've heard, that, I've heard that conversation before. Why not give us something very practical? Um, one of the things that, uh, we're going to do soon is uh, Brother Nathan St. Pierre. I've, I've asked him to kind of uh, brighten this pulpit up a little bit. We're not going to paint it. It's going to do something. Just, just, it's beat up and everything. Just make it look a little better. And, and uh, he's going to put a plaque right here. And it's going to say uh, what it says over in the book of Acts. Sirs, we would see Jesus. And, uh, you know, that's all to be the message of preaching. Listen, every message ought to, I was, I'll never forget, I was writing a message one time, and um, I, I finished the message, and I, and I sat back, and I was, and I was rereading it, and thinking about it, and God says, there's no, there's nothing about my son in there. He said, rewrite it. <laughs> I said, but it's done. <laughs> you know, you ever argued with God? Uh it doesn't work out too good. He always wins. And if you try to, you know, debate with him and then do what, do what you know you shouldn't do anyhow, he still wins, okay? So, uh, it doesn't come out good uh, if you don't. And so, I had that message in my hand and uh, I crumbled it up and I threw it in the trash can. I said, no, I'm going to. And, uh, and I've tried my best to make sure that I understand that the, every message I preach is about Christ. Christ. Christ is the key. Christ is the answer. Christ is the one. And so, let's not ever get into this thing about, well, all this preaching of the gospel. I don't mean that we preach John 3.16 every time. That's not what I mean by that. Uh, I don't mean that we uh, say, that, that's, not, that's, what, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this, is that the gospel should always be included in preaching. In fact, there's nothing more practical than the gospel. In fact, there's no power outside of the gospel, right? Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 16 tells us that plainly. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
for therein is the right for therein is the righteousness of God. What is it? Where is, where, where is the righteousness of God found out in the gospel? There, I mean, there, if we want to live righteous lives, what do we got to do? We got to go back to the gospel. That's what, that's what starts the thing. In fact, uh, on our messages on Sunday mornings, I've preached a couple of messages on husbands uh, and loving their wives. But we have found out in that place there that even Paul's teaching on marriage in Ephesians 5, what does he do? He relates it back to the what? To the gospel. To the gospel. Look at forgiveness. What is the motivation of forgiveness in Ephesians 4.32? It's the gospel. Uh, what about giving? What's the motivation of giving in the New Testament? It's the gospel. Christ is what it is. Uh, why should children obey their parents? It says, children obey their parents in the Lord. It's the gospel. It goes back to the gospel. Uh, what about Ephesians 6? tells us that we ought to be good workers and hard workers and work hard for our employers. Why? Because of the gospel. Amen. It has, it has nothing, see what I mean? It is shifting the focus off of me and it's putting it on Christ. That's why it's so important that preaching the gospel, he said, brought outside, man, the outside these I'm so happy. The gospel's getting preached because see, the gospel doesn't, as a believer, the gospel doesn't just affect your routine on Sunday, amen? I mean, the gospel should affect our our whole entire life, our marriages, our, our, our relationships, uh, the way that we spend our money. Uh, it has, it has an, an entire effect on our attitude, on our actions, on, on, on how we view and understand circumstances. I mean, uh, just, looking, just look at the, the, the news and what you're seeing today in this, in this war with Israel and all those kinds of things. How do you interpret all of that? You go, you, you interpret it through the gospel, Amen. I mean, I'm looking at all these news stories, and, I'm, and they're interpreted from a, from a philosophical view or from a Palestinian view or an Israel view or, 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 uh, or, or uh, I guess one of the greatest things they're interpreting through is through a, through a humanitarian view is, is how we look at this. How should we view things? Through the gospel is how we should look at it. Through, through, through the word and understanding it through, the, through, through God's word. That's how, that's how we view things. Are we always going to have the answer for everything? Of course not. But the fact of the matter is this, is that our views in life should be based around Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus Christ the Lord. Paul was happy that the gospel was getting preached. He was happy that the gospel was moving forward, even though he was bound in prison. Paul's encouragement to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter number 2 and verses number 8 and 9, he's also in prison in this passage too. He writes these words to Timothy. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. You see? He says the word of God's not bound. Christ isn't bound. The gospel isn't bound. You, can, you can't put the gospel in jail. Amen? You can't put the gospel behind bars. If you do, it'll just spread behind bars, right? And eventually it's going to seep out of the bars. And it's going to get over into Caesar's household, all right? And it's going to spread. It's the gospel. You can't bound up the gospel. The Roman emperors tried to do that. And they tried to silence the gospel. And uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church tried to silence the gospel. But Tyndale prayed, Lord, open the eyes of the king, did he not? And man... 
whenever uh, King James's eyes were open to publish the Bible, man, the, I tell you what, uh, the world's eyes started getting open then whenever the Word of God was able to go out freely and people were able to have it in their hands and read the Word of God without fear and uh, knowing that this is the Word. Can you imagine that? A thing that calls itself the church held back the Word of God for people for thousands of years. Held it back. I should say, probably should say hundreds of years. I'm sorry. Held it back from them. On purpose. On purpose. And yet they've never said they're sorry. And they never will. Paul says, I'm a supporter of the gospel. And he says, I'm a supporter of the gospel. And, of, and I love and I take great joy to hear the gospel advancing. I love to hear the gospel advancing. I love to hear it moving on, going to foreign lands. I, it just, uh, it, it thrills my soul to, I mean, when I was, I mean, you'd have to have a, you'd have, your wood have to be pretty wet to not get on fire when Brother LaBelle was here, you know, talking about the gospel getting over there to unknown regions. I mean, you, you'd have to say, well, I don't really care about the gospel. And I was excited. I was happy, happy to hear about it. I was happy to hear about that church that took up $21,000 for him so he could build his roof. Why? For the advancement of the gospel. Praise God. Thank the Lord. When you hear, listen, when you hear a missionary prayer letter, it should bring joy to your ear to hear these things about the gospel. Number one, that the gospel is preached. Number two, that the gospel is being received and people are getting saved. That should bring joy to our hearts. The third thing that it should do is this, is that it should, uh, you should be joyful when you hear that the gospel is being passed on to other preachers, and other preachers are starting to preach the gospel. I should be saying, man, that's awesome. That should bring joy to our heart. The gospel should never, the gospel is, and I, I believe is in a never-ending state of advance. So how do you know that? What did Jesus say? The gates of hell should not prevail against it. Against what? The gospel? No, the church. The church is the bearer of the gospel. And when we stop bearing the good news, when we stop preaching it in the pulpit and giving it out and telling our neighbors and telling our friends and our co-workers, then we'll become a dead church. All right? We might still be in an organization. We might still have a sign and a cross out front. But here's the thing is that we cease to be a church. Because a church is preaching the gospel is what it's doing. Do we have joy? But William Borden was the heir to the Borden fortune. Yet he gave up millions and millions of dollars to be a missionary for Jesus Christ. He would later on die on the mission field before he even got to the field that he wanted to get to. But in the back of his Bible, he fa they found these six words that were written uh, early on. In his college days, he wrote these words, no reserves, no reserves. Later on, whenever he announced his call to missions, he wrote these words, no retreats, no retreats. And then many think that whenever he was close to his death, he wrote these words in the back of his Bible underneath those other two, no regrets, no regrets. Listen, 
I've never regretted one cent or one, any money I've ever given to the gospel. Never have I regretted it. Never have I thought, I wish I could have that money back. I wish I could have invested that in something else. I've never regretted giving anything to the gospel. We spend money on what makes us joyful. We spend time on what makes us joyful. And we sacrifice in order to do things that might bring us joy. So let us be joyful when the gospel is preached even outside these walls. Finally, verse 18 says, What then, notwithstanding every way in pretense or in truth, Christ is preaching, I there and do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. He says, I praise the Lord that whether in pretense or in truth, the gospel is preached. Pretense or in truth. Pretense means a pretext. It means a cloak is the idea. It means a facade. Paul was happy that the gospel was being preached even by Christians that were dogging him. Even by Christians that were putting him down. It's one thing for the world to misunderstand you and malign you. But it's a quite another thing whenever Christians start maligning you, right? Quite another thing. But that's what was happening. It's easy to understand that Paul would be joyful over the, pack, over the fact that people loved him and honored him were preaching the gospel. But Paul also was joyful over the fact that people who were even contentious with him were still preaching the gospel. And I don't know that that's a skill that the majority of us are skilled in. <laughs> Do we possess that skill to be able to continue to be joyful even though people are contentious against us? They're, they're Christians, they're preaching the gospel. Uh, what if somebody spoke out against me? How would I feel about that? What would be my thoughts? What was happening? It was, what was happening was this, is that there were preachers of the gospel that were belittling Paul. They were putting him down. They were making snide comments and putting a facade on uh, in order to make themselves look better. What they were doing was they were hoping to add affliction to his time in prison. Realize, not every person in Paul's day was for Paul, okay? Sometimes we get a false impression of the, of, of the, of the New Testament and of Paul's epistles that, man, we, we, we really lift up Paul a lot in the church, all right? Not just our church. Uh, you know, all, a lot of most of the churches, they, they, man, Paul is it, you know. But Paul was just a man, okay. It wasn't about Paul; it's about Christ, okay. And the people that he was preaching to, they were people too. And the New Testament church was people too. They were just uh, sinners saved by grace. And you got to understand, there was jealousy and envy, and those are still real motivating factors behind people's animosity towards one another, okay. There's still preachers out there that get jealous over other preachers. That happens. Happens all the time. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, what will a preacher do today? Well, he'll find out. Another preacher, he's got more baptisms or he's got more people at his church than, than he does at his. And, and then uh, he'll watch his live stream service and he'll say, oh, that's because they're using this music. You know, you know that's why they've got more people. Oh, it's because uh, a long time ago there was a preacher named Lee Robertson, and he preached in Chattanooga, Tennessee, had one of the largest Sunday schools in America at the time. And uh, people said the reason why is because he's got colored lights on the stage. 
Uh, in fact, he only used, he, he would use uh, purple and red lights uh, during a baptism. And they said that was the reason why he had the biggest Sunday school. You know what I mean? It wasn't that the fact that, you know, they went out every single Saturday and, you know what I mean, and hit the doors and hit, you know what I mean, and got the foot traffic going or anything like that. It wasn't that they prayed, you know, for hours on it. None of that, you know. No, no, it was because you got purple and red lights. You know what I mean? That was the reason. So, and so we're, we're, we kind of can get nitpicky on some things, all right? Listen, if you don't want to go to church that, doesn't, that's, that, that sings like that or does that or uses purple and red lights, then don't go to the church like that. Find a church that, 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 that's yours. And one pastor said, God has a church for everybody. He does. He does. Amen. That's a good thought right there. But let us not be jealous or envy. Also, not everyone agreed with Paul. Okay? Understand that too. Uh, 2 Corinthians teaches that. 1 Corinthians teaches that. Thirdly, realize this. Paul, uh, Paul probably brought some of it on himself. Okay? I mean, he did not listen to God when God told him not to go to Jerusalem, right? I mean, book of Acts. So you're going to go down there. You're going to get put in prison, you know. He said, I'm going anyway. I'm going to go do it, you know. And he went. And number four, uh, Paul was not, we get this wrong, I do think we get a wrong impression of Paul. Paul was not the most likable guy. He had a very strong personality, okay? He had two very large arguments with two of the apostles, Barnabas and Peter, okay? I mean, uh, I mean, so think about that. He was, he, he was, a, he was a man that, uh, when I say apostle, I know Barnabas is a, called an apostle, means a sent one. Anyhow, we won't get into all that argument right there. But he was a strong-willed man. And the fact of the matter is this, is that people usually love strong-willed people or they do not like strong-willed people. You know what I mean? That's just the case. That's what happens with folks, all right? So these are just some of the reasons why Paul probably experienced contention amongst the brethren, all right? Maybe some of them he rebuked at one time, all right? We don't know. But the point being is this, is that Paul, the key word again is notwithstanding. It doesn't matter whether people love me or hate me. It doesn't matter if their preaching tells the truth about me or their preaching is just a facade. What are they preaching? They are preaching the gospel. Then I'm okay. Here is the word for the series then. Here is the, here is the word for our series and it comes up right here and we finally get to our word. Then I rejoice and yea, will I rejoice. I rejoice, he says. And this is, uh, this is so, so good. Listen to this. Um, this is so, 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 so good. He says, I rejoice presently, actively, me doing it. I rejoice in the fact that the gospel is being preached. I am doing it. I am actively participating in the joy of the Holy Ghost, knowing that the gospel is being preached. But look at this, a change in word. And it's very subtle, but he says, and I will rejoice. Future passive, passive, 
I will passively rejoice in this fact. That means the rejoicing will be coming over me because of this fact that the gospel is preached. How interesting that Paul's life and joy consists of both active joy and passive joy. He's affected through the gospel through both of them. He is overcome with the rejoicing that he is hearing the gospel being preached. He's not preaching it. Amen? It's not him doing it, but he's hearing about it. And it's coming upon him. And he's saying, I'm rejoicing in that. Praise God, joy is not just something active, but it's something passive. It's what something we participate in, but yet it's something that affects us at the exact same time. Praise God for that. And that's what the great thing about the preaching of the gospel is, is that you can participate in joy by preaching the gospel yourself. You can have the effects of that. You can enjoy that. And you can see people get saved and have joy like with the angels. But you can also take part in other people's joy when they give the gospel and you hear them getting, other people getting saved and preachers called to the ministry and lives change because of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The preaching of the gospel brings joy. Father, we're thankful for the word.